traveling the world searching for equestrians of all breeds. The journey starts now on the International Equine Network. Ah, good afternoon, horsemen. This is Scott Miller, founder of the International Equine Network, coming to you live from our base in Delray Beach, Florida, where it's 90-plus degrees, and we're really enjoying it. Just about all of our horsemen are out in different parts of the country, from uh, the north to the south to the east to the west and to Europe. Um, all of the horse shows are coming up uh, throughout the summer, you know, all through the Midwest and the east, and racing's going good in California and New York and Kentucky and you name it. It's, go, it's going real good Where wherever you're at, you know, it's good. Hate to say it, but you know what? Fourth of July was here, and that means that summer is half over. Hate to tell you that. Summer is half over. And then the horse business, it's the best time of year. Uh, what we like about it is you're planning and doing a lot of things uh, that you worked hard on all winter long, you know, to get there and um, get your horses right. Um, the show horses are doing really good from uh, Sunshine Meadows here. Florida Atlantic University is having a real good um, summer and winter that we have here. Carriage Hill uh, is doing very good. Uh, we're really um, surprised by a few of the riders that were there that really stepped up. Um, our real good riders, they're they're holding their own. But we got a lot of um, lower tier, well, I shouldn't say lower tier, but other riders that have really stepped in and started pushing the uh, envelope, uh, you know, at some of the shows that, that we're going to. And it's kind of exciting. Um, you know, you see the enthusiasm of the people that are climbing that ladder, and then you see the fear in the eyes of the people that have climbed the ladder and got to the top and said, oh, um, you know, who are these people coming at us? And then they turn around and look, and it's it's their own, uh, you know, stable mates that are coming at them, you know. So that, that's why our riders here, our show riders especially, do so good is because the competition that they have to go through in training day in and day out here amongst themselves, puts them at a high level, you know, when they get out to the uh, to the other shows. And, and it's really exciting about it. They've done real good in Tryon. Uh, we're getting ready to go to Ocala next week. Uh, they'll be up at the World Equestrian Center. And um, they're going to be they're gonna be in some uh, tough competition, but I, I think they're going to fare well. Uh, they've trained hard and they've done really good. And then we're going to go back to them, start talking, kind of backtrack here a little bit. Um, during the Kentucky Derby uh, back at the 1st of May, so, you know, we're looking at, uh, you know, two months ago, uh, they had some horses that, that broke down and they had to uh, put them down and they had a huge, huge um, rash of uh, horse accidents and, and things of that nature. And one of the things that we were talking about uh, is how to prevent this. Well, you know, it's going to take a lot of uh, research. It's going to take a lot of study, uh, you know, the situation to see where, you know, they went wrong, you know, what happened to them. And there's just not a database that's out there that's filled with information that we can go back and look at because it's never been kept. And so now what we have to do is take the horses that did break down and had to be um, put down. You can backtrack on them and see, you know, uh, how it came. Um, where they were foal at, um, the breeding, uh, the breeding on, on the horses, uh, um, 
there's so much that you can start to look at and start from ground zero. That, that's the whole problem with the horse industry and the way horses have been breaking down. There's really never been a ground zero to start from. With all the modern technology that we have, they've just never started to do it right. So now HISA and all the states are getting together and they're trying to get control of it. And, you know, a lot of times uh, it's like the drug thing. Well, you know, so-and-so drugged the horse and, you know, that's why he broke down. Well, no, we don't know why that's why he broke down. Um, it could be, it could be breeding. It could be the way the horse was raised. It could be how he was broke and, and how he was trained, you know, to go, to go to the races. Uh, was his, uh, uh, training career? Was it a rush, 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 uh, you know, get him to the races type thing? Um, was it the breeding? Uh, was it the, um, you know, the inbreeding that, that we have that caused the, uh, the bones to be weakened? Uh, was it the feed? Uh, there's so many things that this could be, and we really can't put our finger on it. And so naturally when a horse breaks down, they said, oh, well, you know, it was drugs. That, that trainer's noted for breaking horses down. Uh, you know, it's the whole nine yards. And really there's no way to, uh, you know, say at this time, stage and point, this is why this horse broke down. So now what uh, the, the different authorities are doing now, they're going back and they're going to start from where the horse was, was folded, where, where, he, where he, he was folded. And they're going to go from that point on because all they've got prior to that is the breeding and the bloodline. How close is the end breeding? You know, that type of thing. So now when you go from where the horse was folded, then you can go uh, and start, you know, Track backtracking where he was broke at, how he was raised, um, you know, how you know, the whole nine yards. You can find out everything. Um, did he have any injuries as a foal? Uh, that's you know, that's the main thing. Did he have any injuries as a foal? Then, when you go through, uh, you know, his first year of, of um, getting ready to race, uh, you know, you can go back and you can follow him, you know, that uh, you know, uh, where he's at and what he did. Then when they come to break him, when did they break him? What time of year did they break him? You know, how fast and how rapid was his training uh, implemented onto him? Uh, you know, that type of thing. Uh, that, that's that's very crucial there, uh, especially when they're young horses and and you're trying to bring them along and get them along. And, you know, some, there's some outfits that just really rush them. They really rush the horses. They get them wound up and they get them going and, and then there's other people that take a long time, you know, to get them, you know, to the races. They take their time with them. Uh, you know, they don't get on such a regiment to where they're going like 90 or 120 days and they're ready to go. And that, and that, that in itself is going to be the guidelines that, um, you know, I believe that the officials are going to have to go. You know, uh, have some horses that are ready to, uh, you know, go uh, in February you know, going and start working, you know, at the two-year-old training sales, um, you know, and then some in March, some in April, April, May, June, July, you know, brings them right along. And, and that, that brings brings us up to now we're looking at the July sale of selected yearlings at the Pasig Tipton in Washington, which is going to be June 11th at 10 a.m. 
So you can kind of get a look and see what these horses look like, you know, as a yearling. Um, and, and that's what I like about the yearling sale. You, you, you see the potential, what could be, uh, you know, into them. And hopefully, you know, you can get one of them and you can get them into your organization and start, you know, getting them ready to race and get them ready to, you know, uh, go through their works and do what they need to do. Uh, that, that's very important at this stage and point. Uh, you know, as a yearling, um, I always like that because you can kind of really get a hand on them and you can monitor their growth. You can monitor, uh, everything that they do. You can go out and watch them in the fields and see how, uh, active they are with all the other, uh, foals, you know, that might be out there as the leader when the, when the horses go running out in the morning across the fields and, and, uh, is he a leader or is he in the middle of the pack or is he a lag, is he lagging behind? Um, you know, is he interested in all the other horses running and playing? We might say, uh, are they interested in that or do, are they are a loner? Uh, you know, there's so many things that you can grasp a hold of, uh, when they're yearlings like that out in the field, you kind of get a grasp and see how, um, you know, their personality is. You know, um, that's very important, you know, to know these things. And, and that helps when you go and get them, start getting them ready to, uh, you know, go into training, you know, as a two-year-old. Uh, that's very, very, uh, very important to start, you know, keeping your uh, log on your horses, uh, uh, how they are, if they were sick, uh, if they had any injuries, uh, you know, do they get in, involved with all the other horses, in the, you know, in the field? Uh, you know, there's so much that you can do and put into what we call their uh, passport, you know, about their personality and how they're raised. And, you know, are they eating up their feed? Uh, uh, you know, are they eating uh, plenty of grass, plenty of hay? You know, all these things are very important when they go into training because you want to make sure that you're monitoring that because if anything stops or gets different for them, uh, it helps you figure out, you know, why they're not eating or you know, why they, they are the way they are. You know, that's very important, you know, to get them up to, to that point. And then, and then, of course, when you get the two-year-old training sales like they have now uh, that, that have been coming up, and it's really interesting to see, you know, how they do. Uh, you know, they're, they're geared to do a three-eighths of a mile. Uh, I don't want to call it a work. Um, it, it's just a, a, another milestone in their in their uh, program is how they do. And like, for example, they just had the Mid-Atlantic uh, uh, two-year-olds in training sale uh, June 28th um, at Timonium, Maryland. And so you go out and you see them. They're, they're all working, you know, three-eighths of a mile, uh, you know, that type of thing. And, and it's kind of interesting to see, um, you know, how they do. Uh, how they adapt to, you know, their uh, march towards, you know, racing. Uh, that, that's one thing I like to go see and see how how they do and kind of backtrack on them and see where they're at and, and all. And, and I don't put a lot of stock in these two-year-old training sales. I, I just never did because it's uh, so new to them. It's their first time ever, you know, being tested, uh, you know, for, uh, you know, a, a a real test, uh, the two-year-old training. So, I mean, you can, you can have your works at the farm and everything, but it's not like, um, you know, going to the track, you know, and working three-eighths of a mile or what have you, you know, for them. So that, that's very important to see that. 
And then, you know, a few days later, you can go look at them in sales and see how they come out of it, you know, how they walk into the arena, uh, how they do all these things. There, there's, this is a time of year that there's so much that you have to um, uh, go through with, with the horses if you're, if you're buying, you know, uh, you know, a horse to, to race. And, and you've got to take all the history prior to it, uh, the blood work, uh, uh, you know, uh, the trainers that they've been with, you've got to mesh all these together now and figure out how that horse would fit into your program, uh, you know, that type of thing. And so what, what I like to do is start to look at these horses and, and judge them, you know, by how they look and how they act in, in a race track setting, you know, how, how they're doing at the barn, how they go out in the morning and train. Uh, you know, if they go out with any other horses, uh, are they going out with older horses? Are they, at, you know, uh, you know, where, where are they at? Are they at Saratoga in the morning training? Are they at Kentucky or California or Florida? You know, you just kind of see how they're, uh, um, you know, working with the, the general population. Uh, you know, that, that helps a lot on the horses. And then you can really start getting into, you know, where they need to be, um, and especially like on, on the, uh, how they get there, the 2024 Kentucky Derby. The the first test that they really have comes around mid-September. Uh, that's when they have um, the Churchill Downs, the Iroquois. And that's the first race uh, that they have for Derby points for the 2024 Kentucky Derby. And, and to be honest with you, a lot of those horses that are, that are racing in September uh, really aren't to be found anywhere, uh, you know, at derby time because it's been too early and, and, and it creates a lot of setbacks, uh, you know, on them because they're young and, and all. And like uh, this last year, Forte was an unusual example uh, of a two-year-old uh, to come in and, and do what he did. He won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and he came back. He was the favorite for the derby. He you know, won a lot of races in Florida Derby was really impressive, you know, that he had. He was on the right path. He was going down the right road, uh, you know, to win the Kentucky Derby. And unfortunately, um, he come up sore one day, uh, about a week, two or three days. Actually, it was a week before the Derby. And he, he came up um, a little bit lame. And so Todd Pletcher, the trainer, uh, you know, they evaluated him and they had to scratch him from the Derby. And, you know, that, that's part of the, the growing into the two-year-old, you know, from the two-year-olds to the three-year-olds. And we had a lot of horses over the spring that ended up, uh, you know, not being what, what they thought they were going to be. And then some late, later up popped up in the races and, 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 you know, won and, and, uh, and then something happened to them. And so over the summer, they just kind of, time to get to the Belmont, they were kind of all burned out. And so now that's why. It's going to be an exciting year for Del Mar. And remember, by the sea, by the sea, Del Mar is the place to be, as they say. And I, I looked at your stakes book uh, out there, and it's amazing. It's amazing what they're going to have there. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Del Mar in California is something that you need to be there and train for. It's hard to ship into to, um, uh, Del Mar, you know, in California, Santa Anita, uh, you know, uh, Golden Gate Fields and when from the East Coast or from the South. It's hard to do that, you know, so you got to plan, kind of plan your schedule. And to see, and I'm not saying it's easier, 
but horses tend to do better coming from west to east than east to west. And, and that's, that's been a rule of thumb for a long time, uh, you know, that they have there. So now, you know, we got, uh, uh, Del Mar opening. We got Saratoga opening for the uh, summer meet. And it's really going to get interesting to see who goes which, where and when. And, uh, and, and the thing that I like about it uh, now is we've kind of evaluated in the spring how the horses have run, uh, you know, where they're at and what they're doing. And one thing that I do like the Kentucky Horse Race Commission hiring safety stewards, uh, so that they can go out and examine the horses before they run. Uh, there's a protocol that they have, uh, you know, that they're going to keep an eye on these horses. Uh, they're going to keep a real close eye on them. And, and, uh, you know, the trainers are going to have to adhere to all the rules and regulations that are out there, which they should have already before been doing, but they haven't. You know, because we've had so many trainers come up with uh, positive tests, you know, for medication and, and you know, uh, all, all kinds of all kinds of things. And it's kind of like, you know, you're bringing your your horses, uh, your yearlings along to two-year-olds into the racing, uh, racing end of it. you got to have a game plan. And there's never been a game plan per se um, for the horse industry. It was all regulated by each state. And there, one state might be different than the other, and it, it was it was just a real, you know, uh, it was just a real uh, circus, you might say. So now with Heiser, um, you know, they, and, and the Fair Trade Commission, they've got everything uh, under rules and regulations as of June first and July first, to where uh, you know the horse industry has a guideline to go by, and. They kind of figured out how, how to do this. You know, it, it was tough. The whole deal, and the Bob Baffert thing has still not gone, gone away, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Um, but what, what Heisen and FTC and all the state commissions have, uh, racing commissions have done is they're under one regular. So that's going to help. That's going to create consistency. It's going to create a, a ground zero and consistency. That's the main thing. If you got if you got rules and regulations, everybody has to go by them, no matter what state you're in. Uh, you got to go by these rules. And what I like about Heiser is they've also included standard breads. They've included the show horse industry, everything, everything. And, and they control. They've got guidelines. Uh, you can go to Heiser.com, and you can see what all they have uh, available there. Um, it's good. Uh, they get into the barn management. Uh, they get into uh, the payroll. They get into everything related to the horse to where it's all under uh, one guideline. And, and I like that. I, I like that because, uh, you know, it's, uh, as they say, it's the paper trail that you got to follow. And so basically what it's done is uh, they've, they've made uh, it plain and clear that the owner, uh, you know, is responsible for everything that goes on because the owner is going to be the one that's going to, you know, take the fall because their, their responsibility is to make sure they got good trainers. The trainers got good help, you know, and they've got good horses and, and there's a certain, um, you know, uh, protocol for the barns every day. And, and so, for example, uh, uh, care, custody and control. Okay, the, the owner comes in and he interviews uh, a trainer. And he goes in and the owner should 
go in and see how the operation is run. You know, go in and observe, you know, a few days of training. See, you know, how, how, how it's going, you know, what's going on, you know, with them and, and just kind of say, okay, well, you know, this looks like it's a pretty good operation. A lot of people doing their jobs, uh, clean cut, you know, uh, efficient, you know, tight barn in there. And, and so then, you know, it comes down on the trainer. It's the care, custody, and control uh, that, that they have to deal with. The, the trainer's got to make sure that uh, he's got the right uh, exercise riders. He's got the right grooms. He's got the right hot walkers. He's got the right transportation people. You know, he's got to make sure everything is uh, the right hot walkers. He's got to make sure everything in that barn is running smooth. Um, you know, that, that's the name of the game. Because now the trainer is in the care, custody, and control program. And so whatever happens in that barn, that trainer is uh, responsible for the hot walker. He's responsible for the groom, the exercise rider, the barn foreman, the night watchman, the day watchman. He's responsible for all that. And when the vet comes into the barn, he's got to make sure and, and, you know, actually should go along. But a lot of them don't. They have their assistant trainers uh, go along with them and, and monitor everything that the veterinarian does. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, the trainer sits down and he looks and he talks to uh, uh, maybe it's his assistant trainer that was with him or, you know, maybe they've designated a person, you know, to go with the, uh, uh, you know, with the blacksmith and the, and, and the vet and the veterinarian when they come in and fill out the report and, you know, this is what they did. Uh, this is the medica- medication that this horse got at uh, one o'clock. Uh, you know that type of thing, and um, and kind of go from there. And it's also up to the trainer to make sure that he knows the medication uh, rules and regulations when they can get medication and how long they have to have before you know that's out of their system. You know, knowing that the vet knows that already. But, you know, the, the trainer needs to back that up, you know, when he gets that and, and note that on the horse's uh, uh, por- uh, uh, passport, you know, that this horse is medicated with this, you know, at 2 o'clock on Thursday afternoon. Um, it should be out of his system, you know, uh, by, you know, 11 o'clock on uh, Saturday. Not saying that it will, but, you know, but from all the information and, and everything from the uh, – um, uh, veterinarian, this is when it should be out. So you got to note all this. You got to make sure that you know what you're doing and where you're going, you know, with them and kind of go from there with it. So, you know, that, that's the good thing about highs that everybody's got responsibilities, you know, and, and they've got to be held to the highest standards. And, and that's why they're uh, hiring a lot of these uh, uh, safety stewards, you know, so they can go around and see what's going on, you know, with the horses and, and the shed rows and, you know, that type of thing. Because now what they've done, and it hit the trainer the hardest, the trainer can't point his finger and say, well, you know, it could have been the groom. It could have been the hot walker. Uh, you know, it could have been the exercise rider, the barn foreman, the night watchman, the day watch, uh, you know, uh, that, that type of thing. Uh, so, you know, the finger pointing is right down to, you know, you know who, what, when, and where, as they say. And, and so that's what, uh, you know, I like about the highs of things. And one good thing about highs is if you go into their website, they got a lot of things about, um, you know, uh, 
uh, how to manage a stable, how to run a stable, uh, you know, that type of thing. And let me tell you, for a long, long, long time, there's a lot of stables that won big races that have just been flying by the seat of their pants. You go in there, you know, and it's, it's, you know, it's the good old boys, you know, and, and they're just getting the horses there. And hopefully, you know, a lot of, a lot of horses have made good trainers. I, I can tell you that right here and now in this business, there have been more horses make good trainers than good trainers make good horses. I guarantee you that those horses, some of those horses go out and just, run through a brick wall for a trainer and a trainer. Like Woody Stevenson, he won five Belmonts in a row. They asked him, they said, Woody, said, um, how did you do it? He said, well, if I knew how I did it, he said, I'd write a book and then everybody would be doing it. He said, I can't tell you. He said, each horse is different. Each year is different. Each situation is different. He said, I can't tell you one way or the other. You know, and, and so that, that's what we're looking at, you know, in, in the horse business today. And this applies to show horses, standard breads. It applies to the whole, you know, business, uh, even the breeding end of it. Uh, you know, it's how you run your breeding operation, you know. And so it's kind of interesting to see, you know, how these things go. But the whole long and short of what we're trying to do, we're trying to look at and see where ground zero is at. And we haven't found it yet. We have not found it yet in the horse business. You know, that's what everybody's struggling to do because each scenario is different. Each horse is different. Each trainer is different. Uh, the weather conditions in each track are different. Uh, each uh, state, each country, you know, it's all different. And so, you know, it's hard trying to, you know, put together ground zero. You know, and, and like every business uh, should sit down and no matter what it is, whether it's racing cars or, or horses or, you know, building houses or whatever, you got to start at ground zero. And ground zero starts with all the people that make the business go. And, and that's what they have not done in, in, the, in the horse, in the thoroughbred industry, especially. You know, it's been lots of the drug. You know, there's 30,000 plus, you know, foals a year. And only 20 make it to the Kentucky Derby, you know, and nobody's ever gone back and said, well, you know, Rich Strike, for example, longest shot ever, you know, in the Derby. How did he get there? You know, and you start looking at it. Well, he was at some lesser tracks. He wasn't at all the big tracks. He, you know, he was at uh, some small tracks and, and everything. And then he comes up and he wins the Derby. He was in a $35,000 claiming race you know, on his way to, uh, you know, to the Derby, you know, so, so you figure, how did that happen? That's what you got to look at the, the little things. So, I mean, you can go back and, and say, okay, well, this is, this is where he trained. This is what he ate, you know, and, and you know, prior to uh, day before the Derby, he didn't know he's going to be in the Derby. And he comes up and he wins. You know, so now you got to look at that, and then you go and look at a horse like Forte um, that came that came up. You know, uh, w- went through all the races. You know, jumped all the hurdles, did everything that needed to be done. And he gets a foot bruise. You know, and can't run. You know, and in the Kentucky Derby and all the big races have been like that for years. You see the long shot come in. You know, 
it's just, you know, really good. And one of the things that I like now that they're doing is like in New York, uh, regulators are content, uh, are considering a 72 hour evaluation, you know, prior to the races. Um, you know, that, that's a new rule that they'll be implementing, you know, to come in and, uh, uh, they're an attending a veterinarian. Uh, uh, well, here, here's what they, what they're saying. Uh, the proposal calls for a ban on horses, um, from racing are, are working out unless specifically cleared within 72 hours by an attending veterinarian. You know, so that, that's what they're looking at. And, and you're looking, and let me tell you something. <laughs> There's going to be a lot, they're going to need a lot of veterinarians and vet techs because if you got a 72 hour window and, and you're going to work your horse, like say on Thursday to race on Saturday, you know, you're looking at you're looking at 10 races, we'll say, 10 horses in each. You're looking at 100 horses that are going to work on Thursday, you know, we'll say, prior to that Saturday's race. Boy, oh, boy, that's going to take a lot of veterinarians and a lot of vet techs. You know, you're looking, you got to go in and examine them, you know, 100 horses, you know, prior to them going going to do that work. And then after they come out of the work, you got to look, you know, and see how they came out of the work. You know, so it's kind of one of those things. Is that desperation on the part of the racing commission, you know, to make sure these horses are healthy and ready to go? You know, that's that's one thing that, you know, you got to look at. And trainers got to have to worry about, you know, uh, to do that. It's going to be interesting to see how that works out. Uh, then, you know, uh, Heisa, I think, it, I think Heisa is the greatest thing in the world for the horse business. And I'll tell you why. Because they finally got the concept that, you know, we got rules and regulations that it's going to help us find ground zero. Everybody in every state is going to be doing the same. If you're, if you're going to be, uh, uh, you know, doing a 72-hour evaluation, then that's good because every state you go to is going to have the same project, and that's what they're going to have to do. And I like that. And they're doing that with the same, you know, for medications, like, you know, no Lasix for two-year-olds. Um, you know, that, that seems to be a situation that, that everybody got on the Lasix band, bandwagon when it first came in. And they said, oh, well, we'll use Lasix. But what about in, in, in the old days, as they say, the old timers? You know, two-year-olds weren't allowed to have Lasix. I mean, a lot of them got it. You know, but they were in a test for it. Nobody, you know, would would know about it, and and everything. And the thing that gets me the most is now everybody's screaming, "Oh, we can't give Lasix to two year olds." You know, they need it. Well, back in the day, you had to get a horse ready, fit and ready, all natural. You you didn't you weren't allowed to do the medications, and all the old timers, you know, would get them get them ready and get them right to, right and ready to run now. Back in 1982, when I was in the Derby with uh, Al Bobby, and we had a horse called Liscapade that won the Derby trial that year, that was old school training right there. You'd run three or four times, maybe maybe five times before going into the Derby. You know, you didn't have some of these horses raced eight or nine times that are, you know, that have been entering into the Derby. They're, they're trying to get as much money as they can out of them, you know, as fast as they can for as long as they can. You know, but back in the day, you know, and the derby, the derby fields weren't, you know, the big 20-horse fields. You know, they were a lot a lot smaller fields like the Preakness is. 
you know, it just goes to show you that for like uh, when you're getting a horse ready for the derby, um, you know, it's it's tough. It's real tough. You got 20 horses that are running in the Kentucky Derby, and then what happens? How many of them go on to the Preakness? Seven, eight, nine of them at the most. And then how many of them go on to the to the Belmont? Well, that Derby it eliminates a lot of horses, you know, because those are three races that you have to train for, and that's that's what we're trying to figure out. How do we get them there? Now, there, there were a lot of horses that come out of the Derby that were banged up and beat up a little bit. You know, they were, you know, and, and that stopped them from going on to the Preakness. That stopped them from doing that. And so, you know, I've always said old school is the best school, you know, and, and you see how they kind of come around, uh, you know, to do that. Um, one thing, Heiss has got among, uh, they got a superintendent in field day at, um, uh, in, in, in Indiana, it's a horseshoe in Indianapolis, and that's where they're getting all the track superintendents and managers and management there, and they're going to discuss, you know, uh, tracks. They're going to discuss how the uh, tracks are held. They're going to uh, discuss how the uh, maintenance is done on the on the tracks. How much water they're getting. You know, what kind of heralds are they using? And how you know they'll do the whole thing because you got ground zero there. You know, at each track, this is how you do it. This, or well, this is how we do it. I should say, because what we do at Palm Beach Downs is completely different from what they do at Gulfstream and what they do, you know, in Indianapolis or Santa Anita. And I must say about Palm Beach Downs and Brandon Mills, I'm telling you, that guy over there, he's good at that track. What he does, I mean, I see him day in and day out when he's at, at Palm Beach Downs, and he he'll go out there and they've got a rod that they'll walk along. And uh, Todd and uh, Brandon check the depth of the track and the turns, you know, and it's straight everywhere. And one day Todd came to Brandon and said, hey, Brandon, he said, you know, he said, it's kind of funny. He says, in lanes three and four, for example, he said, the horses that are coming out of lanes of three are outrunning my horses that are coming in lane four. And he would, Todd would switch the horses back and forth every time they worked. He worked in lane three today. Next time you worked in lane four, vice versa, you know, kept figuring it back, back, uh, back and forth. But the success rate that Todd has had coming out of Palm Beach down is phenomenal. You know, that's, that's his last, that Palm Beach Downs is his last prep races before he goes into one of the Derby, uh, the Florida Derby, um, you know, before he goes into one of the Holy Bull. All the races that he's winning at Gulfstream, those are in, in the spring. That's the ones where they get, come right off of Palm Beach Downs. So there's consistency there with it. We know how the track is. We know what the track's like. We've got control on that. So that's our ground zero. And, and so everybody else now is getting that ground zero because there's consistency in what they're doing. You know, if, if you stay, and this is my big thing. Years ago, out at Payson Park, all the good horses were coming out of Payson Park because they would go down there in the fall and they would stay there until, you know, late spring. But it was consistent. They didn't, they weren't traveling all over. Same thing at Palm Beach Downs. These horses are there from, you know, September, October, November to, to the end of April. And that's consistency. So now that's part of 
that's part of the puzzle for ground zero is where they're staying at and how they're staying. Now, a lot of these horses that, that were running this over this spring, uh, that, uh, will say like, say, um, the horses that were based at, um, the fairgrounds, the horses that were based at, uh, Oakland Park, Santa Anita, uh, you know, New York, that type of thing. The weather played a big, significant part of what they did. It wasn't consistent. There was a lot of rain. There was a lot of wind. Uh, there was a lot of things that uh, were just hard to pick up on. You know, and those horses really didn't fare that well, you know, so far this year, that, you know, that were there um, because it was inconsistent. So, that's, that, again, that's another part of this ground zero uh, uh you know, theory that I have, uh, you know, is where they come from. So, you know, you can do a track comparison between hot springs, uh, the fairgrounds, um, you know, aqueduct, uh, Santa Anita. So now that's going all into our ground zero uh, type thing that we're doing there. So now you're looking at a lot of, there's so many things that you've got to look at, you know, when you're in the racehorse business. It, it's scary. It's this scary you know to see that happen so now um you know we've got all these tracks in all these states that are uh starting to study um you know what what's going on at the tracks you know and the the track itself you know we can say but we can't say yes it's a track there's just not enough data there you know to say yes it is the track can't do it it's part of it and how how big is the how big of that ground zero pie is the track that you're working in? You know, we we can't determine that yet until we get all the statistics in. And, and that's the tough part about it, you know, uh for what we're doing here with them. So now you go back and you look at the trainers. Uh, you know, uh, back in the day, uh Wayne Lucas was I mean I'm talking thirty years ago. You know, we're sitting here and, and Wayne was winning races, you know, right and left. And they said, oh, well, you know, he had 200 horses and, and, uh, he only got 10 two-year-olds to, to the races that were good. You know, and so automatically they were pointing the finger towards, you know, Wayne Lucas. Oh, he tears up, he tears up two-year-olds. He gets 200 horse, 200 two-year-olds and next thing you know, he's down to 10. You know, and, and they're blaming the trainer. And again, there was, he's not ground, Wayne is not ground zero. Todd Fletcher and Bob Baffert, they're not ground zero. It's all the things that led up to where, you know, where they were at, how they got, how they get there. And so that, that was the thing that I, I was, uh, you know, really pushing. But it is a part of it. You know, some trainers are tough on horses and, you know, others, you know, others aren't. So again, you know, we're looking at from this ground zero. What do we put into it? So, so far now we've talked about it's where they would fall at, the bloodline, you know, they're, where they're raised at as a yearling, how they're broke as a two-year-old. Uh, so you know that that's four four places right there that we're looking at. Now we're looking at them. Uh, how fast are they being pushed to get into racing? You know, and so that's five segments right there of ground zero, you know, that we're looking at. And so now you can get in there and say, okay, uh, is it the racing? You know, how how hard is racing on them? 
you know, getting them up to, uh, you know, to the races. How hard is that? You know, so that's six right there that we're looking at. Items that make up ground zero <laughs> before we can even really get, get going, you know, on this. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and then you're looking at feed, the blacksmith, uh, the groom, uh, the exercise rider, uh, the training. And there's so many things that you're looking at now that it's kind of confusing. And so my big thing is, is you got to take it slow and you got to do your homework and see how these guys are doing. That's the main thing that you got to do, you know, so we'll, we'll talk more about ground zero next week, you know, and kind of go along and I'll have some charts maybe that I can put up and, and show you that, uh, uh, what all's going on. But what I'm excited about now is the horses that, um, are, are now up and ready and, you know, the Del Mar and Saratoga is open and getting ready to open here uh, in the next week or so. And, and, um, we, unfortunately, uh, uh, when all the horses broke down at Churchill, um, the Kentucky Racing Commission assigned all the horses to go to Ellis Park and run. And, uh, you know, they've had their first million dollar race there, um, at Ellis Park. And I tell you what, it's been really successful. Uh, you know, for them there. The trainers don't mind it. The purse money is good. Well, it's actually the purse money that was at Churchill. Um, that's good. And so it just goes to show you that, you know, um, everybody forever called, called Ellis Park the pea patch because it's down in southern Indiana. Actually, it's in southern Indiana. And, um, you know, it, it wasn't a very good track. It was not, you know, it, it was called the pea patch. And the reason that it was is that there weren't a lot of big trainers that went there because the purse money wasn't any good. But now that Churchill moved there, a lot of trainers are liking it there. There's going to be a lot of trainers that are going to stay around there and train up through the fall right there. You know, and that's that's really good. So, again, which I hate to go back to, um, that's, that's another uh, fallacy that in, in ground zero that we can look at. It's not where you train at. It's how you train your horses, you know. And when you go to a race that, uh, you know, to, to like uh, Ellis Park, and you got horses that are running for a million bucks there in some of the races, and, and then they come out and they go to other tracks and win, so that kind of throws that out, you know, out the window and everything. But it, it's exciting. Ellis Park is uh, they're big in the game right now. I hope it stays that way for them. It's good for the business, uh, you know, to go in and see and uh, you know it's hard to keep this business going and there's a lot of things that we're trying to do to keep the business going one of them is um uh, what they call an invitational some tracks will come in and they'll have an invitational and it's by invite only and so the track sits down and what they do is they, they say okay um we're going to have a million dollar invitational here we'll say like at uh, Saratoga, for example. Um, at Saratoga, they'll have a million-dollar invitational, and they'll invite uh, horses from out west, uh, down south, uh, you know, in the north, from Europe, uh, they'll, and they'll invite them over, and they'll throw up, a, you know, a million-dollar purse. And, you, and theoretically, you get horses, the best horses from all over the country that come in for this one race. And they're doing that, and the fans are liking that. So they've taken another step forward. They created the Saratoga Derby. 
is to serve as a qualifier for the Cox Plate. And the Cox Plate will be uh, run over in Europe. And it's going to be interesting to see, uh, uh, you know, what comes out of, out of this, uh, you know, here. Uh, I was amazed that how many people really got behind this and said this would be a, a great thing to do is to team up with a, a track over in uh, Europe and say, okay, we're going to invite, um, uh, we're going to invite horses from the United States to run over here in Europe and we'll have maybe a race at Saratoga, uh, might have one in California, uh, have one in, uh, you know, in Maryland. And, and then you got horses going from, from the States to over to Europe to race against horses from all over the world. It's not a Breeders' Cup. It's just an invitation. And that seems to be working out pretty good, you know, for, for the horse industry, you know, as a whole. Uh, I, I was kind of excited, you know, to see this happen. Um, I didn't think, uh, uh, all the old timers would get around to to doing this, but by golly, they they have, and, and that's what I, I like about the, the business. We're, we're starting to realize how important that the the fan the fans are to um, our our business. Uh, not only uh, not only as a gambler, for what you know we can do, you know, to um, get uh, people out to see the different racetracks. Uh, a lot of the racetracks now that we have. Are having like uh, uh, chili cook-offs. They're having um, all kinds of entertainment, making it a weekend. Uh, you know that they do all these different things on, and so I'm kind of excited about that. You know to see what track is coming up with what. You know what Belmont's going to do. Uh, what um, you know Saratoga's going to do. Delmar's going to do. Uh, you know it's kind of interesting making it a festival like. And so uh, you know I tell you. I'm sitting out here now looking at, uh, you know, racing on on TV. And by golly, you can get racing anywhere now. You can get on TV. You can, and, and you know what's really coming up is radio. Radio is becoming a big, big help to the horse industry. Now that we're going to Europe, now that we're going to the States, we're doing a little bit of everything in the horse business. You know what's in, interesting? What's interesting is the horses in the show horse industry. They all come under the Heiser guidelines. They all have the same problems we, you know, we do in, a, in horse racing, thoroughbreds. You got to get the people in, and they're doing the same thing. You know, like at um, in Wellington, um, they got uh, Saturday Night Lights in Wellington, and they got all kinds of entertainment. They got a great show under the lights, unbelievable. You go to the World Equestrian Center in, in Ocala. You look at that place, two major hotels, restaurants, you name it, they've got it there. You go there, and, and you've got any and everything. They've got a church there. They've got, um, you know, grocery shopping. They've got stores. They've got uh, everything, you know, uh, at the World Equestrian Center in Ocala. You go to Tryon, North Carolina. Up at Tryon. They got any and everything that you can imagine. They got, you know, they got gourmet foods uh, uh, shops. They've got uh, restaurants. They got you name it. They've got it there. You know, you go up to uh, the standard bread industry uh, to the three new trucks that they've got in Kentucky. <laughs> Let me tell you, you know, here we are sitting here in Florida, where weather is good year round, 
and everything, and we lose the harness industry because they couldn't make it a go at Pompano. They couldn't make it a go. But what happened at Pompano was they didn't do anything to entice the clients to come in. They got a casino there, but they did nothing else for them to, you know, to to uh, bring somebody in, bring families in, the younger crowds in. They didn't do that. You know, and what happened to them? Boom. They, went, they were gone. They were gone in a heartbeat. Now, over in Sweden, for example, you go over to there and you look at their racetracks, their harness tracks, they got something going on over there all the time. It's like a country fair every weekend for them. And that's what you got to do in the horse business. You got to do all these things. And, you know, like I was saying, we're talking about ground zero. We're talking about ground zero and everywhere. And that, that includes safety. That includes entertainment. You got to give them the whole package. You got to get them there, not only for the race, but for the weekend. You got to get them there to stay. Now, what I like about what uh, the horse, the thoroughbreds are doing is really interesting. A lot of these tracks don't have the Kentucky Derby. They don't have uh, the Preakness, the Belmont, the Travers. They don't have those. They don't have those things other than through simulcast. Now, the, the people at Naira have come up with a good idea. A lot of these three-year-olds that we have, that you know, that are coming coming out of the Derby, or that they weren't good enough for the Derby, but um, this is really good. They have the Belmont Derby Invitational, and, re and remember, that's an Invitational was by invite. It was by invite to all these. When you when you see here Invitational, they've got that lot in the Santa Breads too, but here they have the invite. Uh, race ten on Saturday. It goes off at uh, post times at four. 5.49 Eastern Time. It's a $750,000 invitational for the Northern Hemisphere and summer, summer, uh, Southern Hemisphere three-year-olds fold after August 1st. That, that's, very, that's very important. That's very important to, to hear because um, the fold date is, is really uh, makes a big difference. And, and if you got a three-year-old fold, that, that full before August, you miss a lot. You miss a lot of uh, good racing uh, because you know it's a late fall. Yeah, it was for three year olds after August first, twenty nineteen, and before July thirty first, twenty twenty. It's a non LASIK percent to um, uh, the LASIK codes uh, that you have to go by now under high um, under Heisen. Uh, so and this has really kind of uh, restricted the races down, you know, to uh, where it's at. But um, this is a $750,000 race. It's going a mile and one quarter on the turf. On the turf. So now all of a sudden you got something to train for. You know, you'd like to run in the Derby, and there's not that many turf races here in the United States. But it's going to be interesting to see. You know how this comes. How this comes out. Um, they got a good field. Uh, remember, this is Saturday now. It's eleven horse field. Um, you see, you see a lot of people coming from across the country. Uh, you got McCarthy will be there. Chad Brown, Christoph Clement, um, in here. 
we got Kenny McPeak, uh, Mark Cassidy, Billy Mott, uh, Todd Pletcher. Uh, we've got a lot of, uh, you know, we've got a lot of good people out here. But that, that's a $750,000 race, uh, you know, on Saturday at Belmont Park on the dirt, on the turf. So then we start looking around and all the other tracks are starting to realize that we've got something to focus on. We got something to highlight. You know, Belmont's going to advertise this, the heck out of this. They got a lot of good races on the car at Belmont that day. And lo and behold, $750,000 race. Get the people in, show them that you're going to get, see good quality, you know, racing, uh, here, uh, year round. That, that's the deal. Now at Delaware Park on the, on, um, July 8th at 426, 446 p.m. Eastern time, uh, we have the Delaware Park Stakes. Uh, it's a $500,000 race for fillies and mares, three-year-olds and upwards, by subscription. So this this is a, a, a race that you can plan and point your horse for, and, and it's a mile and three-sixteenths. Uh, they had 24 nominations for it, and they came up with some really nice horses in here. Uh, Brad Cox is there. Uh, Todd Pletcher's is there. Eric Reed's there. Uh, you know, it's going to be a, it's going to be a great race there for them. You know what I like about it? It's going to be an easy six horse field. You know, and so that that makes the trainers and owners think, hey, I, I go to Delaware Park. May not be stable there, but I'll ship in for that. You know, like Pletcher's doing, and and uh, you know Brad Cox and these guys are doing. So it's giving you a good quality stakes race on Saturday from horses from all around the country because the, the money and it's a mile and three sixteenths, you know, so it gives the track something to build on, you know, while they're there, uh, you know, um, uh, for, for the race meet. And that, that draws people in and you can have a good weekend and, you know, you make a big show out of it. And that's what, the, that's what the, the racing industry is doing now. They're making shows out of it. Um, the horseshoe in Indianapolis, July 8th, which has always been a nice, um, nice time of year to run. I, I've raced up there a lot, you know, in, in the uh, um, in the summer, midsummer. It's hot there, you know, but it's hot everywhere else. Um, we have the two hundred thousand dollar Indiana Oaks uh, for uh, three year old fillies. It's going a mile and one sixteenth on the dirt. Nice, nice, nice field this year. Um, we got uh, some good horses in there. We got Brad Cox again. Uh, we got Kenny McPete again. Uh, we got, uh, Michael McCarthy in. Uh, you got, uh, got, uh, Ortiz has got some horses there. Steve Margolis, good old Midwestern, uh, uh, trainer. But see, I, that's at the Indianapolis Horseshoe. Good, good race day. Uh, real, um, um, country fair type atmosphere there. It's a good place there. Hey, they make the best, they make the best country fried steak sandwiches of anywhere in the world. It's huge. You know, just going there for that makes you a winner and everything. Because every time I go there, I usually have two or three when I'm there and then two, take two home with me. And that's really good. Then uh, on, after the Indiana Oaks, you got the Indiana Derby. Um, it's a $300,000 for three year olds uh, uh, going a mile in the 16th. Great race. Um, got a lot of good trainers in there. Steve Ashmeason will be there. Cox Indians, you know, is, is going to be there with with a horse. Uh, Kenny McPeak. Uh, uh, got uh, Elliot Walden's son's going to be there. Um, he's got a nice horse uh, this year in there. 
and uh, it's Georgie. And uh, I tell you, it's, it's a nice horse. You know, you never can tell who, who might win this thing. He might be, he might be up and, and you know, win that thing. But that's at the horseshoe in Indianapolis. Then we get, uh, we head out towards um, out west, and we got Los Alamitos uh, on January eighth. Um, we have got the uh, the uh, Los Alamitos uh, uh, race course. Uh, really nice, nice track. Not many people know about it. It's the Los Alamitos Derby. Um, it's going a mile and an eighth on the dirt. Uh, it's one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars as a purse. Uh, Bob Baffert's got a horse in out there. John Sharif has got a horse in. Well, actually, he's got two in. Peter Miller's got a nice horse in out there. It's a six-horse field, quality field. It's a shame they can't get him more money than than that. You know, the hundred twenty-five thousand. This is three hundred thousand dollar race for sure. But you got quality there. You got the big trainer shipping in for it. Country fair atmosphere. That's what it's all about. You know, that's what it is all about. But you know, like I was saying before, um, uh, you know, we got uh, the ground zero issue that everybody's struggling with now. Uh, you know, like I said, we got uh, we got uh, Saratoga, Del Mar getting ready to open up uh, next Friday. We're going to have uh, an opening day for Del Mar, Del Mar, and Saratoga. Uh, the Breeders' Cup Championships coming up here this fall. There's just so much stuff that that is out there, you know, and we're finally getting our hands around it. We're getting ready to, uh, you know, make the industry uh, a lot better than it is and has been. And so, you know, the funny thing about it is, is whenever you're out and you're about in the horse business, it's about tradition. It's about tradition. And, and the tradition got a little shaky there for a while with the, in the horse industry and, you know, we don't know what uh, they were going to do with Pemico because the, the barn facilities and facilities are bad. They're, they're correcting that. Uh, you know, the same thing with Churchill Downs. They're expanding uh, with what they're doing there. It's going to make it. Uh, the, the, it's going to make the facility better. The tradition is always going to be there. Belmont has done the same thing. They're making a better facility for everybody there. You know, but like I said, every week we're going to talk about Ground Zero. Ground zero, zero is where it starts for any and everybody. The journey starts at ground zero, N-I-E-N-T-V. So join us next week, uh, and we'll talk more about ground zero, and maybe you can tell us about your ground zero on your, your operation. It doesn't matter how big you are or what breed you are. Every operation, equine operation, needs a ground zero. And once you sit down and you figure out ground zero and where you're going and what you need to do, and map it out. Then, like an IEN, you can start your journey. So we'll talk to you next Friday on the International Equine Network.